The DeFalco Files is an entertainment-based program. Some memories of certain events might be fuzzy. All opinions are that of the host. Content might not be appropriate for children and some adults. Listener discretion is advised. And remember, the truth is here. Vegas Bad Boys of Podcasting presents The DeFalco Files with FSW owner Joe DeFalco and your host, Matt Michaels. Hey everybody, it's Matt Michaels here on The DeFalco Files with the owner-creator of FSW, Future Stars of Wrestling, here in Las Vegas, Mr. Joe DeFalco. Joe, happy anniversary. Uh, Thanks. It was quite a weekend. It was a uh, a two day anniversary show celebrating the eleventh and twelfth anniversary of FSW. And um, let me start with uh, this just general question about the venue. Um, people know if you tuned in or if you've seen social media posts, you know it, it was quite hot in there. Um, and that's probably no one's uh, fault other than, you know, air conditionings can't go out this time of year. Um, outside of the actual air conditioning uh, problem that happened, what was for you the, um, the highlight of having that place as the venue? Um, and what can be done to uh, further uh, a relationship with them so you can use that venue a little more often? Well, the thing is, the uh, the food and beverage numbers the first night were fantastic. Yeah. You know, far exceeded anything we thought. The fans came, they ate, they drank, they had a great time. Uh, as you said, as as the evening progressed, it continually got hotter and hotter. You know, it claimed it was 84. It was more like 94 in there. You know, I was a sweat box when I finally got home. And it was kind of remnants of our very first show, which was pretty apropos, as they like to say. <laughs> the difference was the first show we ever had, we did it in a swap meet. So, so people weren't there eating, drinking, having, you know, they... We, we, we have become more now of an event than just a wrestling show. Right. So, you know, it was really tough when you ask some questions and it, it's kind of nonchalant about how, oh, yeah, you know, we're working on it and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you know, that's really important. We have a show tomorrow, you know, right. and when you're asking for stuff and then it, it's kind of a little wobble like what are you talking about you know we're going to lose business tomorrow no matter what whether it's five people or 25 people you know it's like why does anybody assume automatically that you're going to fix the ac problem well guess what night two was still hot you know we did the seminar with ec3 it was fine it was 70 degrees in there and then a few people come in, a few people come in, and it was definitely cooler than the night before. Right. Because it, it took me like an hour and a half to sweat through my shirt, <laughs> you know, but it was still hot as fuck. 
you know, and and that can't happen. You know, you can't expect us to pay a full price if there's issues that are stopping it. You know, we specifically said we had to, uh, you know, live stream it. And, you know, when somebody is like, oh, yeah, well, we got the Ethernet cords in the back. Never in my wildest dreams did I believe that would mean that the only thing they had was Ethernet and they had no Wi-Fi whatsoever. It's like, <laughs> this is 2021, you know? Yeah. Ten years ago, everybody had Wi-Fi in their building, you know? And it's like now not everybody got their, their entrance themes and things like that, and now we're scrambling because people have to use a fucking hotspot that is nowhere near as fast as anything else. Right. And it's got to get hot spotted into one computer and then transferred through, a, you know, email. And it's like, it became, you know, that, that was the most difficult part, you know, of the weekend was getting that production in check, you know, and I listened first day, the commentary was tough. You know, I was like, who's this guy on commentary? It was like Alvin and the chipmunks. Right. You know, and, it wasn't the recording of it because Joey sent me the recording and we're uploading it and we're going to resend it. So anybody who had seen it or is looking to purchase it or whatever, you know, the commentary night two was fine. No issues. D'Lo actually sound like D'Lo, you know, if I knew D'Lo was going to sound like Alvin, I wouldn't have paid him and would have had somebody else do it. You know, it's like, Jesus Christ, like, can't even tell that's D'Lo Brown on commentary. <laughs> and I and, and I knew he was sitting there commentating, and I still wouldn't didn't believe it was really D'Lo. Like, hey, was somebody else doing commentary on the uh, pre-show match? Oh, man. And then we had those issues, which was, you know, nobody's fault. But, you know, I tested everything. Everything worked. Somehow, some way, the settings on the virtual DJ changed, and for pre-show match, there was no music played. Right. You know, so it's like Jesus Christ. And then, magically, the second night, they just played the video package to open up the show, so we heard all the sound. It was coming from the same computer, and then guess what? The Suavecito's music didn't play, yeah. and we had restart the computer and it played fine and everything was good after that but it was like you know why did that stop playing yeah you know why did it not go through the system no idea when you see these types of um you know snafus problems come up um how hard is it for you to deal with it on the fly when you might not necessarily know what exactly is going on or who exactly could take care of it. Um, is it, you know, especially being that it was the first time using the venue, is that something that becomes even more difficult that makes you just kind of bounce around like a pinball um, to, you know, deal with any fires that are going on? And if you can't put out all the fires, um, how do you manage to get around that type of stuff so that the production itself still comes off and is still enjoyable for the fans? 
you know, if you look at Fight TV and you watch the show, it looks fantastic. The quality of the footage looks great. The problem was the inner workings. It's like we hadn't been out and, you know, two of our production guys had to work. They couldn't get there. And, you know, they planned on being there around five. They didn't get there around six. And can't have that. We need to have other people that are capable of doing it. I get it. I understand. You have a job. You can't leave your job. Well, sorry, we can't use you today. Right. We will use you other day. And the, the problem became that the stuff at the, at the school is a big computer, the desktop, everything that's in there, okay? When Felix left, he put all the music in a spot, okay? And now over time... When stuff got downloaded, nobody put it in the spot where everything else was. So first day when we're doing stuff, uh, the guy who's running the sound, Johnny, oh, well, this is the wrong one, and this is that. We need to get the other computer. It's like, first off, I'm not fucking bringing a computer because one guy's static is the wrong one, okay? It's like, it's easy to say when you're going to show up and you're the guy doing it. Regardless of anything, you're the guy doing it. I shouldn't have to be the one setting everything up for you. And then you not be happy that when you downloaded a song, you didn't even put it in the file where everything is. And it's like, we have one hard drive. That's what I took. So then I had to go back, and it seems like it was mostly there. But how about everything goes in FSW event file. Right. That way. If he's late, if he can't be there and a student needs to run it, there isn't the problem because, oh, wait, there's seven versions of a Death Proof songs in there. Now, how does how does the new guy know? Right. God forbid uh, the main guy gets into a car accident. He He's told he has to work overtime. You right. know, stuff we want to talk about professionalism, but everybody's able to look at over there and not noticing right here. It's like all that stuff should have been in check two days before. We're bringing the stuff over. Just because you thought we were gonna bring that, it's like, well, instead of bringing 30 more pounds of stuff, I have a virtual DJ. I'm a DJ, I've had it for 25 years. I'll just bring my laptop with a portable drive that's now a pound and a half instead of another 40 pounds that we got to load up into a car. Right. Trying to make it simple and easy, but trying to make it simple and easy became extremely hard because we weren't ready and we had months to be ready. So that's, what's the most disappointing thing, you know? Yeah. Um, Organization wise, is that has that always been kind of that frustration for you? Is that things like you said are not in the practical places that they should be in, or you know, there's just general chaos going on that's essentially created chaos because the control could have been there. Um, you know, is that something that is going to be? Uh, looked upon in terms of expanding the 
organizational side of things that this way it's almost foolproof that things won't get uh you know messed up or out of place or you know eliminating the simpler problems by having everything ready is that the goal for you know the next uh big show that you guys do well yeah it's going to be for the next little show we fucking do on <laughs> july 3rd it's like see the thing is whether it's my kid or the guy doing the sound or somebody else they kind of know where things are yeah and that's great but Joey shouldn't only know where certain things he's doing is, or Johnny shouldn't know where he's at. Everybody should know where certain things are. Right. That way when things, it's just so much easier. You know, I've been screaming for years. It's like, so people talk about, oh, and my kid, like, oh, this took, you know, it took me three hours to do it. Well, it took you three hours to do it because last time you did a commercial and you cut up and you found your clips you didn't take those clips and save it into a master folder right. where, hey, Remy Marcel. So now it has clips of his big moves. It has, it has the entrances. It has all the other stuff. So now when you want to go put together this video package, you have to now sort through numerous files that have Remy Marcel matches in it. Well, instead of there's 32 clips, well, you pick three that you use. What does that take? Five minutes? Now go through eight matches to try to find, hey, he did his, his flip over or that, that cool entrance. Now it took you 45 minutes. Yeah. Now multiply 45 minutes by 10 instead of five minutes by 10. Well, five minutes by 10 is 50 minutes. It's less than an hour. Yeah. 45 minutes times 10 is 450 minutes, which is seven and a half hours. Right. Think beforehand. It's like, I get it. You want to get it done, bing, bang, boom. But it really doesn't take long to right-click and save something and save as. And on a clip that's five seconds, it's going to take you 20 seconds to save it. Right. And that way you have it. And you build the portfolio, you know. And the production, you know, I'll scream, I'll yell. But it's without a doubt the most difficult thing. Yeah. Because when you want good production, you know, things have to be in place. And when your budget isn't like allotted like WWE or Impact or Ring of Honor, where they'll spend tons of money, you know, but they also have, you know, a bunch of guys. We right. have a small crew. So I can never get pissed off. I'll get irritated. I'll get I'll get frustrated. But I also understand that these guys work for a living. Most of the people involved do it because they love wrestling, not because of their payday. Right. You know, they want to be a part of something. So I never let that frustration bother me to where I go off on people. But when, when people say stupid things, you know, I, I got to put people in check, you yeah. know, because when you're focusing on one thing out of 100 – you know, it's it's easy to not understand why that one thing isn't perfectly done. Well, when you have to do 99 other things, things are going to fall by the wayside. Right. Um, the uh, the production value we talked about, you know, a little bit about the venue, the production value itself. Um, 
when everything started up uh, and the matches started, let me ask you, how did you feel about that first reaction from Friday night uh, with, you know, a packed house uh, for the first time in, uh, what, year and a half? What was that like for you? And uh, do you think that that helped motivate the performers to up their game uh, to the next level to try to, uh, you know, entertain? And did anything go awry from what you saw that was maybe influenced by, you know, the, the fan reaction um, that maybe things changed up a little bit? How, how was that whole, uh, you know, encompassing feeling of having that full fandom back in one place? Well, I was working the door because I had the list because obviously we, through PayPal and, and the people that we know, the majority of people already had prepaid for the show, right. you know, and the question became, will we sell every seat? Depends on how many people walk through the door that during the, during the, you know, when doors open and we were already, you know, three quarters full before we were going to, you know, by the time anybody would buy a next ticket. So we knew it was going to be an extremely well-attended event. And we kind of knew that a week ago, you know, as, as it progressed, you know, the early part went actually relatively smooth. We got the meet and greet going, you know, we got people, you know, the lines immediately, people were buying food and buying drinks and, and that was awesome. And I was in a different situation because I already had D'Lo doing commentary. Right. So I was more of the overseer, checking in the dressing room, making sure everything was good there, bouncing back and forth, you know, just trying to keep everything in check. And, and in all honesty, the majority of our guys, you know, they're used to big shows and they're used to wrestling right. in that type of atmosphere. My thinking was guys like Juicy and Toa and a lot of the newer guys that we've brought in over the past year that have never really got to wrestle in front of that packed house right. that SW is known for at Samstown. And, you know, reading stuff after and Twitter, you know, it seemed like those guys were extremely excited to perform, you know, because – it's been a long time since they got that opportunity to wrestle in front of a really, really big crowd. Yeah. And, you know, our crowd generally is very vocal. You know, they're very vocal, especially early on because they're hot for the wrestling. Right. You know, and unfortunately, as the night progressed, the hotter it gets, it drains everybody a little. And, you know, maybe by the end of the show, even though they're excited, more excited about that match than saying match two, you know, it's easy to see people getting tired. Yeah. You know, you see a few more people leave earlier than you would probably think they would have left. You, you know what I mean? And yep. like I said, stuff like that has to be addressed. You know, the numbers were great. Did poor people drink because they were hot as fuck? Would they have drank more because they were more comfortable? You know, you can right. look at it both ways. You know, the venue could say, oh, 
you know, we got a lot of people, we got a lot of more drinks sold because it was so hot. Or I could say, well, I think we lost a bunch of customers because it was too hot. Yeah. You know, so, you know, everybody's going to look at it their own way. I just know people were complaining that it was hot. Right. You know, so, you know, I think the atmosphere was great. You know, was every match great? Of course not. There, there was hiccups. There were some things I didn't care for. And there were some things that were awesome. So it, it's, just, it's a typical show where there's going to be the good, the bad, and the ugly. You yeah. know, you'd hope that there's far more good than anything else. Yeah. Um, and again, another issue, we ran late, like we always do. But because of issues, the pre-show match scheduled for 6.45 didn't start till like 7. Right. And the first match at 7 didn't start till 7.20. Well, now we're almost a half hour in, and we know the Rumble's going to be long, and you can only ever estimate and give it 40, 45 minutes. It was probably longer. Yeah. So you're already gunning for 10 o'clock, and you're already at 10.30. So, and then when certain stuff goes long, entrances are longer, now you're into 11 o'clock. And that's really not what I wanted to do. And then we kind of, you know, cleaned it up a little. Night two was far, far, and then we had to do an intermission because we needed to make sure the food and beverage. Believe me, if I knew how much we had sold by intermission, I probably wouldn't have done intermission. Sure. Just 15, 20 minutes of people milling around. I I guess it's good for the for the crew because they get to sell their merch and stuff like that. Right. But being hot as it was at that point, I probably would have made the executive decision to be out of there 30 minutes early. Sure. Um, how important to you on nights like uh, Friday and Saturday <gasps> are guys like um, Remy and Cody in terms of the communication, uh, you know, between what's going on backstage and what's going on, uh, you know, out in the arena. Are those your pretty much your two go-to uh, guys when it comes to dealing with the, you know, anything that needs to be dealt with backstage? Not as much as at the arena shows, to be honest with you. You know, sure. these shows, you know, Kenny King was there. Yep. And he saw me running around. He's like, hey, you want me to agent the Rumble? Just to just to keep it in check. You know, the guys, you know, they kind of had the rundown of the idea of what I was looking for. The main, you know, when you saw a certain story created, in most cases, it was because I had said, this is what I'm looking for. You know, Brett the Threat got involved with Dave Mazzani, which led into the match the next day. Right. You know, tried to build things long term you know, in other situations. But you got to understand, you know, Cody is in the middle of a two out of three fall match for the tag titles. Remy's wrestling Jimmy Jacobs for the Nevada state title. You know, how much is he going to agent, you know, Chris Bay and Chris and, and Casey Navarro? Well, right. they're not, you know, the rumble Kenny kind of handled and the pre-show was the pre-show you know, they, that was probably discussed a little bit, I hope. But, you know, Jay and, and Gregory Sharp, they've been at it a really long time. You know, I'm going to give them the freedom to, to put together, you know, their match with my input. And it's like, okay, because we went kind of back and forth on a few things. 
but by show day, we already knew where we were going in that match. Yeah. Um, speaking of the story builds, what did you think of the execution of the matches like Jay and, and, uh, and Gregory Sharp, um, you know, the, uh, the TJP and Matt Vandegrift, um, that I think a lot of fans feel was the, um, the biggest match, the best match of the weekend. Um, how do, how does that, do you actually, uh, get to go back and watch some of that after the fact, or do you just kind of have a little eyes on as you're moving around, uh, and just listening for feedback and listening to what the guys have to tell you as well? Yeah. You know, since we had some issues on numerous levels on Friday, I was back and I was, I was back and forth, you know, and I didn't really get to see a lot of certain things, you know, uh, I see a lot of the Sandra moon Maserati match and the finish of that match. I had really was hands on, on, on the entirety of the finish. And it couldn't have come off any better, in my opinion. Yeah. You know, we had wild cards there. You know, you, you know, I always call him young boy. He's always young boy to me, whatever, Jody. And, you know, he's a wild card. You know, I haven't used him in a long time. Yeah. And Andrew made a request uh, to have him come out with her. And I wasn't too hyped about the deal. Uh Strella wasn't even scheduled to be there. She had a flight for a show that left earlier, but she missed the flight. And it kind of put that finish together. And it was kind of a recreation of something we had done years ago that worked phenomenally with Remy Marcel and a guy named Tyson Tyler over the FSW Arizona Championship. Yeah. Where Johnny the Bull was involved and Franco D'Angelo. And I kind of went to the well on that one, which I think you can go to the well once every nine years on that dusty finish. And hook, line, and sinker, the crowd went bananas. Sandra Moon finally got to the top of the mountain to all of a sudden to get pulled back. And that was my favorite moment because all the ideas for the finish, I said, no, this is what I like. They both were like, oh, we love it. And everybody played their part, you know, from the referee taking the shot, you know, head to the ground. The next ref came in. There was no hesitation. Everything flowed smoothly. And that was my favorite moment of the weekend. Sure. My match of the weekend was, yes, the Matt Vandergriff, TJ Perkins match. And, you know, watching that match, I am totally convinced that Matt Vandergriff is ready to get to that next next level. Yeah. You know, I always joke about he was the little chubby kid from Santino's <laughs> who we did an impact tryout, and I believe it was Sanjay Dutt, and we were sitting there. We were kind of running the the tryout. And he was and at that point Matt was probably only about a, barely a little more than a year in the business. So we were impressed with his his ability. Cause he's not a small guy. He's a tall, he's a tall kid, 
who also was kind of chunky. And that was the first thing. No tan, white as a ghost, you know. And it was just like you saw some potential, and he had the ability to do some cool things. And to see that growth over the last couple of years, you know, from his gear to his look to his presence and to his ring ability, you know, he went step for step with one of the best technical wrestlers there is. And they had an awesome match. Yeah. You know, no questions asked. And like I said, that was my favorite match, you know, of the weekend. Was there uh, a match uh, that stood out to you either from your eyes or from feedback that ended up being kind of um, a thud match, you know, kind of a dud? Was there anything that you thought didn't hit the mark that uh, you were looking for it to hit or that the guys anticipated hitting? Uh, Absolutely. The No Limits title match between Ice Williams and Danny Limelight. Uh, after Limelight made his appearance in the Rumble, he killed it, man. It was just like, man, I'm really looking forward to the match. And when the match happened, I just think it was structured poorly. Sure. You know, it was like the setup was there. Uh, You know, Braxton gets involved. He gets tossed from the match. And I just felt that Danny didn't take advantage of that situation. Like, I never looked at that match and felt that Ice Williams' reign was in doubt. Right. And we conversated after. And, you know, Danny understood exactly how I felt. You know, if the faction were going to get involved, there had to be a reason for that. And instead of getting less offense than I would have expected, Danny should have got way more than what he did against Ice Williams because if you're going to bring Fresco and Watson in and they're going to get involved and it leads to the finish, it needs to be because of the fact that Ice can't do it on his own. Ice has been since basically day one being part of the faction – that without them, you know, he's kind of like the honky-tonk man. You know, that, that title reign can be taken away at any given time by a lot of different people. Right. And as and what I didn't care for was because a guy like Danny Limelight is so talented and so good, you know, I, I think we missed the boat on, you know, capitalizing – on bringing him in, you know, to do that. You know, people want to get behind him in that match. And I just felt that the few times he did start to take over and the fans started to get behind him, Ice kind of shut him down quick. Yeah. So, So to me, you know, there could have been a lot more, you know, offense from Danny Limelight. That's the one thing that, you know, stood out to me and, you know, not saying it was a bad match. It wasn't the match the way I was looking towards seeing it. Sure. That makes a lot of sense. Um, when you look at the, uh, the finish for the rumble, 
Um, how do you think that came off in terms of its execution? You know, with MJ, uh, with MK coming out and uh, you know making the announcement that he had now at DC three, and when these guys both come out at the same time, so they're you know they both have their feet touch the floor at the same time. Did you feel that that was something that the audience uh, reaction to was a little deflating? Or do you think that it hit the mark that you wanted it to hit, which was, you know, kind of stealing away the rumble to get to that next point, which was the three-way with Juicy, EC3, and Hammerstone the next night? I think the execution was done perfectly the way it was supposed to be. But I do feel that the ending came off flat. (laughs) You know, the difference is, you know, in a normal rumble setting, we would have done that and it would have led right to the finish to where it would have been the main event that day. Right. So since it was in the main event that day and it was the next day, it was kind of a flat finish in terms of the fans, you know, it wasn't the double elimination, but we were trying to, you know, get to a certain spot. And by and we did get to that spot, and it did get heat, but it wasn't the ending that fans wanted to see, obviously. Right. You know, obviously. You know, the fact of the matter was it was done well. We did the ending. It was explained. I don't think it went too long in that situation, but I just think that that was definitely not a finish the crowd was looking for. Yeah. Not not that everything should be based on them looking for a certain spot, but in my head, I envisioned it one way, and when it came across, you know, you're thinking – NWO people are gonna throw shit in the in, in the ring like this is fucked up. I can't believe it. Boo boo boo. Instead, it was kind of like, really, what the fuck? You, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, everything can't be the home run. You know, the idea of doing that match was to, you know, stack the odds against Hammerstone and kind of work a story which involves MK's army and the feud they've been having with Hammerstone by putting EC3 into the mix. So everything around it to me was, you know, the perfect storm. And, you know, it's kind of like when that, you know, that hurricane becomes a tropical storm, you know, it's not as powerful as you expected it or wanted it to be. Sure. And, you know, nobody's fault. It was executed the way it needed to be. And, again, it, it was just another one of those moments that when we have our 20th anniversary uh, show, it definitely will not be in the highlights of the history of FSW. So. <laughs> uh, for Hammerstone in that situation, uh, being able to go against Juicy and EC3, um, you know, two, two guys who are – kind of at the end of the different spectrums EC3 so much accomplished Juicy just starting to you know make his name and, and get accomplished in the business and then you put Hammerstone 
as that centerpiece in that mix. Um, do you think that that was a really valuable experience for? I mean, we know it's valuable for Juicy. That was, you know, to be in EC3 and Hammerstone at the same time, and he's only, you know, a couple years in. Uh, that's really amazing on his part, getting to where he's gotten. But for a guy like Hammerstone, um, you know, he gets to work two different styles, essentially, with the guys. Was that match kind of what you envisioned it? And um, where do you go with a guy like Hammerstone from this point forward, do you have to keep finding, you know, bigger monsters for him to, you know, go against, or even guys who are more like technically sound? Um, what's your, what's your ideas, you know, going forward where you see his, his character? Well, first off, why wouldn't Juicy deserve a one-on-one -on -one match with Hammerstone? Sure. You know, in reality, it looked like EC3 or Juicy could have been the champion until the egos took over, and both guys wanted the championship. You know, uh, a man who was going to be a major part of the Rumble, Tito Escondido, who's come back, he's taken out Graves, he's taken out everybody in his way, uh, you know, he, he got a collapsed lung, so he was unable to, to make an appearance. So, you know, Tito's right there also. And again, both of those guys are part of the MK army. Right. And, you know, if you don't think Toa is going to be a future champion, then you're not really watching what we're watching. Right. So there's definitely guy class who's got the cash in the case. You know, he could he could cash in at any time. You know what I mean? And it's like, I think Hammerstone, especially with MK involved, sure, I think we are going to try to bring in some people also. But there there's a lot of a lot of talent. Right. You know, a, a hero Lou just because he's a babyface doesn't mean you know he's not the man. You know, he he. He stood toe to toe with all those guys, right? You know, Matt Vandegriff. You know, here's a guy I'd love to watch Matt Vandegriff, uh, which I think we did see once against Hammerstone, if I'm not mistaken, a while back. Yeah. And or or was that Graves? Maybe it was Graves and Vandegriff, because Hammerstone wrestled Damian Drake in Arizona the same night. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So, so to see a Hammerstone Vandegrift match, that's a main event at the FSW Arena for any show that people should be clamoring to want to see. You know, when it comes to the heels, well, you know, heavyweight heels, we are a little light on, but being a little light on, we got Toa, we got, you know, Juicy, we got Tito, we got Class. Those are four top-notch guys right there. Right. You know how, how many contenders does Hammerstone need? He only needs one. He didn't get a he didn't get a clean victory over Juicy, where Juicy goes to the bottom of the line. Right. You know, plus him and Toa are, are also a top tier tag team. You yeah. know, you know. So, you know, who's to say what does R and B do after uh, you know losing to Death Proof? 
Do they go back into the tag title mix, or do maybe they want to take a break from the tags and, and work some singles matches? Yeah. You know? I know back in the day, a guy like Sugar Brown and Clutch, I'm pretty sure, had their run-ins with Hammerstone and probably wouldn't mind uh, getting that opportunity again. So, you know, sky's the limit. You got the no limits division. You know, what's next for Remy Marcel? You know, right. paths didn't cross this weekend. So class seems to have his eye on Remy. So there is, there really is so much going on that, you know, we're looking at July 3rd. We got some new talent coming in. Uh, a guy named Travis Titan, who was trained by Seth Rollins. He's part of the new uh, talent initiative. Uh, got a kid named Percy Drews. And we also had at the, on the pre-show uh, Nick Wayne, who's actually the son of Buddy Wayne. Yeah. And, and, you know, I figured the kid was 17 or 18. He's 15 years old. <laughs> you know, him and him and Bodie had a match at the seminar that uh, with the EC3 that people said stole the show. It, yeah, it did. <laughs> um, well, you know, let me ask you about that. Um, cause I, I talked to Bodie a little bit and, um, one of the things that I found remarkable is that for his age, he, <laughs> he, he got it more than some of the guys who have been doing it for three, four years. Does that really excite you to know that? knock on wood that all things are going you know well for him for you know health and and uh uh just developing uh when he develops into that uh next phase of life um do you think that those are the type of guys that by being around uh, these seminars by being around the guys in the locker room that eventually that knowledge and everything is not only getting them ready for the next step um, but also for a kid like Bodie he already knows that if the in ring doesn't work out for him which by God I don't see how it wouldn't um, that he would be around it in some form, yeah. shape, or another for the rest of his life because he loves it that much. Is that encouraging to you to see the students, uh, you know, hungry like that? Also, guys like um, Adriel and Laz, and then you got Sandra Moon, um, you know, who all, and Jody, they were all, you know, have that close-knit bond that's gotten them now to start developing into that next level. Um, does that just show the importance of the uh, kids' classes, you know, segueing into the regular classes? Well, we've had hundreds of kids that come through the kids' class, but only a few have kind of gone on to where their passion is stuck around you know, and we've had a bunch of them that have come into the regular classes and it is way different. You know, the kids class is 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 built for fun. You know, the, the regular classes are built to be wrestlers. And, you know, when you're a 15, 16 year old kid, 
you know, in most cases, that really isn't for you. Yeah. You know, the biggest obstacle with Bodie is because of him being 14 and at his size, you don't, I don't always feel comfortable and I got to make sure he's in there with somebody that I know will take care of him. Right. You know what I mean? Because he's a kid, you know, he's still growing, you know, so Bodie has become more of an attraction right now like putting him in a tag with Sin Bodie. And if you watch the match, the only one he was in with was Davion because Davion's 16 and they've been together for years yeah. from the kids' class in the regular classes. You know, uh, Reese was making his debut and he had enough to worry about. So we made sure he only interacted with Sin Bodie sure. because just because he's twice Bodie's age doesn't mean he's as far along as Bodie. But you forget sometimes because of the age, and then all of a sudden something ends up happening. There's an injury. You know, we're just trying to get this guy experience. Right. Working with Bodie, things can be massaged. Things can be worked out. With, with Bodie, you know, who's going who's gonna to lead the charge? You know what I mean? If yeah. something goes wrong. You know what I mean? So you need to be extremely careful, you know, of, of, of each situation and where you put them. You know, I'm, I'm pretty certain that, you know, Bodie is, hey, am I in the rumble? Hey, I'm in this. And it's like, you know, we get you in when we can because it has to make sense, number one. And we also need to be protective, number two. Right. You know, just because a guy's good from out of town who comes in, I'm not just going to throw him in with Bodie because he's not, he may not protect him as well as we want. Right. You know, we did Vinny Wasco enough to do that, but that's, that's, that's more of the rarity than the norm yeah. to where something like that will occur. You know, he just turned 14 years old, you know? Yeah. It's, so. it's definitely, um, it's just definitely remarkable to see his maturity and his respect for the business um, at 14. That's it's just crazy. Um, <laughs> speaking of young guys and respect for the business and what they can do, what are your feelings on Nick Xander and uh, the weekend he had? Well, Nick is definitely one of the hardest workers that we've had, you know, despite him being an idiot, Brett, the threat generally works really hard, but Nick is a guy who's, who, who's always there before me. He always leaves. He has been such a help that he has basically become our gym manager because he's the guy that we can count on to get things done and he's not going to fuck around. If somebody else doesn't do it, he's going to pick up the slack. Yeah. And because of that, he has kind of gone over other people who feel that they're deserving of certain spots that Nick Xander's got. You know, right. uh, past weekend, uh, Marcus Anderson, you know, he his stock has risen a hundredfold yeah. of everything he did. You know, I made a post. 
hey, we need somebody to pick up uh, Danny Limelight at the airport. He's the first guy to hit me up. Hey, three hours later, we need somebody to get EC3. He's the only guy to hit me up. Like, man, I remember when Impact was here and Kenny was telling the students to go pick up people. Like, that's what you're supposed to do and get the knowledge, hopefully, with, with name guys in the car. And it's like, you know, thankfully we had a good turnout for EC3 because sometimes it's hit or miss with these guys. Right. But it was really disappointing that I needed Marcus to pick them up, drive them all over the place, take EC3 back to the airport. You know, there, there wasn't a lot of the students – you know, reaching out like, hey, what do you need me to do, Joe? You know? Yep. So, you know, you know, one other guy, Damon, he ended up picking up Casey Navarro because the night of the show, Casey didn't come in until 630. Yeah. Like, he got a late flight. That was all we were able to get, you know, for a show that started at 7. Thank God it went uh, two hours long. So he had plenty of time to go over stuff with Chris Bay. But... <laughs> In most cases, most people, you know, they read it. And I know a lot of these people drive. And just alone for selfish reasons, picking the brain of a guy who was the Impact Champion, WWE, he was in Nexus, and then he came back. He's in the best shape he's ever been. He, You know, he's done stuff with Ring of Honor now again. And it's like... This guy is a student of the business. EC3 was with us about five years ago. They had a match with the Whirlwind Gentleman, him and Robbie E. And we did a seminar then, and he was extremely knowledgeable and extremely helpful. And, you know, he loves the business. He put over the guys in the seminar and thought they were tremendous. But it bothers me that more people didn't step up and say, hey, if you need somebody, I'm here. Hey, if you need somebody... If you need a spot on the show and they don't get it, they're they're the first ones crying on social media. Yeah, and and you made a very excellent point, and I hope that any students uh, or youngsters who are in the business or training right now, um, that's one of the best pieces of advice that any of us can give younger people, and that is if the opportunity is there, to actually have someone who is a professional next to you in your car for, you know, 25 to 35 minutes, man, that's that's a free seminar, essentially, and, and getting to know someone, and very, very important to do. Um, you brought up Casey Navarro and Chris Bay. Uh, one of the things that I was very surprised about is... Um, the number of people who were asking me who is Casey Navarro. Um, what did you think of the uh, match between Bay and Casey? And uh, what do you think was the feeling going around from the fans uh, that you heard feedback wise about watching him perform with Chris? See, the issue is you were, we were in a, a no win situation with Leo Rush retiring. Right. It was like, does the rumble go last? But we have, you know, Sefa coming back for one last moment. And it was kind of up and down, up and down. And also knowing the finish of the rumble 
Is that how you want fans to go home night one? Right. So, you know, and talking with Chris, you know, he, he, he thought they were going to have an extremely exciting match. So we, we, we had to put that in the main event spot. So, yeah, unfortunately, it was kind of like when we had Rich Swan and Ricochet wrestle the Reno Scum. As good as they were in wrestling PWG, the majority of fans had no clue who these fuckers were. Yeah. And early on, you know, they were able to realize, oh, shit, these guys are fantastic. And I think it took a while, but the fans realized, hey, they're watching this kid who who is extremely talented. The problem is getting them to that point. You know, we're yeah. not that – our fans aren't those – aren't that GCW fan base. Sure. You know, where, where, you know, those super indie guys, they know who everyone is. Our, our fans, you know, know the impact guys and they know AEW guys, but they, they probably, the majority don't know the guys who are working AEW dark, you know, Danny Limelight. He's a guy who works AEW dark, but he's a SoCal guy and he's been around for years so it's easier for more people. They kind of know championship wrestling from Hollywood, whatever it is. Right. Like, it's a little more known than Casey, you know. And Casey's a mainstay on the East Coast. And, you know, in his hometown or in Jersey, if we had Casey Navarro and Chris Bay, I think there would have been a lot more people like, oh, shit, what a great fucking dream match that is. Right. But fans who are more, you know, national company fans – we're, we're like, oh, Leo Rush isn't going to be there type of thing. So they have to warm up to who this guy is. Especially, So it's extremely tough that this guy that a lot of people don't know is now in the main event of the biggest show of the year. Right. Right. You know, thankfully, as loved as Bay is, it made it at least a little easier for Casey to go in there. But he had to you know, take that heel role early right. because he was never going to get out cheered by Chris Bay. And then he kind of came full circle at the end of the show when Limelight and, and Sefa, you know, joined in to help against the faction. Yeah. Yeah. And it was very, very good work uh, between Casey and Chris. Um, I think that you're right. It just kind of, took the fans a while to get to that point um but man he's a talented kid and hopefully we can you know see him back in town uh you know hopefully once or twice before he becomes a major player uh with the with the company um well i'll be i'll be honest he's definitely a strong consideration for the limitless tournament definitely (laughs) Definitely. You know, we're trying we're trying to spruce it up. Like I said, you know, the Jay Vidal's, the Matt Vandergriffs, the Eli Everflies, Jack Cartwheel, you know, there there's you know, there's a few dudes, the funny bones of the world, the Gatsons, the Adrian Quest, you know, those are guys on the short list, they work for us, but the Casey Navarros and the Fuego del Souls. Yeah. Know, are, are guys that we're definitely looking at that they've thrown their hat in the ring and, you know, they want to be a part of this, you know, Chris Bay, of course. So it's like we're trying to get, you know, we're trying to do it in one night. So we're probably looking at 12 guys 
So it's, it's really difficult, like who we're bringing in, you know, who's the next big thing in, in those terms and trying to give, you know, the, the high flyers. And again, that's going to be a different type of show. Right. You know, you know, our, our, our fans, you know, we did it, we did it the year before and, you know, Damian Drake, of course, and, and Douglas James, and we had Eli Everfly in there and we, and we had, you know, numerous talent, you know, Lucas Riley, another kid out of Santino's who's, who's outstanding. Yeah. So, you know, there's a hell of a lot of really good talent out there. And, you know, we want this to be, you know, a yearly thing to where, you know, it, it's known around the country as like, hey, this is a really cool tournament that FSW is doing. And like I said, between the Limitless and the Meccas and the Natural Born Killers, we're trying to create our own stuff, yeah. you know, similar to what GCW has done with, with, with their different types of shows that have gotten them, you know, even more notoriety on the independent thing, whether it's the blood sport, you know, right. whether it's the, you know, Joey Janela midnight, midnight thing that he does, you know, right. the spring break, you know, it's like, we're trying to come up with our own stuff that's intriguing to people. And, you know, if you look at the Twitter now compared to six months ago, there's a lot more interaction between fans from all over the country compared to what may have been in the past where it was solidly just, you know, the West coast. Right. The, the West coast and Brad reader. Yes. <laughs> Brad's always been there since pretty much day one. And we've always had a few of those guys that were from all over that were fans of us. But now it seems like we're able to be, known throughout yeah. you know because guys who got signed whether it's a cross or you know hey you know i, I saw something that uh carry on did at the the show with Corey graves and he was like yeah i went to vegas and was blah 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 and surprisingly wwe didn't edit out the word future stars of wrestling <laughs> but you know they, they let that stay in yeah you, you know what i mean and because of the fact that, you know, the head of talent relations at Impact is known as an FSW guy now, uh, D'Lo may not be there training nearly as much as he once did, but he's considered an FSW guy. And Davari and Kenny King, you know, and Sin Bodhi, you know, those are named guys that they travel all around and people are aware of, you know, what we're doing and what we're trying to accomplish. And, you know, most people will say, you know, our show's as good as anybody's. And I mean anybody's. When you look at um, your next steps uh, going forward here, um, what is what is your ideas for the July 3rd show? Uh, and then uh, what does the lead-up look like for you going into SummerSlam? And have you... Uh, had outside of the announcement of the GCW uh, versus FSW show, which is going to be phenomenal. Um, is there any other um, 
you know, irons in the fire or uh, any other plans that uh, are uh, coming together for that SummerSlam weekend. Because I think that that's going to be one of the biggest weekends in Vegas for just combat sports in general with uh, the Pacquiao fight and with SummerSlam and with all the different uh, wrestling shows that are going to be going on. Well, the good news is uh, front row six, front row tickets to the event are sold out, and we haven't even put them up for sale yet. So, you know, we don't even know what the venue is. I'm supposed to talk with the owner, Brett, at GCW, uh, hopefully today, because as we stated, you know, WWE running Saturday night really threw a wrench into what we were looking to do. You know, we expected... GCW to run their own event on the Friday night, which they had planned. Uh, Saturday night, we were going to do the joint show. Well, now Saturday night is SummerSlam, say from 4 o'clock till 8 or 9 o'clock. Right. Now, the question becomes, okay, GCW is not going to want to do a 11 o'clock Friday night show after their own show. So Saturday and Sunday become the options. I'm not a big fan of the Sunday thing with the GCW crowd. But the GCW crowd's different because those people from California and Arizona aren't necessarily going to SummerSlam anyway. Right. They're just coming to town because it's GCW. Now the question becomes the options on the table. Saturday afternoon at noon before the SummerSlam event, so that way it's over with plenty of time. Right. Or we do the Joey Janela style and run Saturday night at, say, 10 o'clock, right. which is now 1 a.m. On the, on the East Coast. But it's after SummerSlam, and if we're at a venue close to the venue, you know, we can hand out 20,000 flyers to try to get 400 people when we already know 200 of those seats are already gone because we already have reservations made from people trying to hold tickets. Right. So do we get some of those, you know, WWE fans who are fans of NXT, which means they're fans of Ring of Honor or Impact, and now there's a show that has Chris Bay on it, as well as who knows who GCW brings to the table, you know, whether right. it's, Cold Scorpio or John Moxley, you know what I mean? You you never know what those guys could bring to the table. So it's like I like that idea better than the Sunday afternoon show. Not that, that we don't want to run Sunday afternoon. So right. we're looking to do natural born killers that weekend. So right now in my mind, I'm penciled in. ECW runs at seven o'clock on Friday night we do an 11 p.m. Natural Born Killer show that we can still do at the FSW Arena, take out the guardrails like we did the first time we yeah. did it, and put 275 people in there. Right. And it's that dingy, hardcore, you know, atmosphere. And we already know guys like Chris Dickinson are in town and Tom Lawler, you know, we've spoken with and – you know, the Graves of the World and the Tito's and the Cal Jacks who live here now mixed in with the Simon Gotches that we like a lot. And, you know, just mixing in a, a group of guys that 
a lot of people are going to be in town regardless. Right. So it, it isn't like we have to now shell out all this money for flights because there's going to be a lot of people who are going to want to be in town that now we can utilize and they're going to be more than happy to work because they were flying themselves in anyway. Right. So, you know, talking with MK about the next FSW women's show, we, you know, we've penciled in July 31st, but I hit him up yesterday and like, Hey, what do you, what do you think about Sunday afternoon? You know, as being, you know, the time for the women's show, because they're doing the tryouts that week. Are the, are, are people going to be in town to watch SummerSlam Saturday? Is it a weekend thing since SummerSlam Saturday night? Are people leaving Sunday afternoon or are they leaving Sunday night and spending the day in Vegas? Right. So if you're a wrestling fan, do you stick around? We're also talking with some companies about doing a joint show with them on Sunday where it's more of a multi-generational show sure. to where it's three or four different companies. We showcase our talents and it's, it's, it's less of a versus each other show than just a joint show featuring the talents of all the companies. Right. So there is a lot on the agenda and, you know, trying to get that figured out, you know, as quickly as possible. Or everybody else says, hey, we're doing a show that weekend, too, because we know they're going to. Right. You know, people hit me up about the venue and, you know, everybody thinks they're going to walk in and get these venues for like little to no, no cost. Yeah, that's that's the remarkable thing, you know, Um as we kind of wrap up here, um, July 3rd is the next uh, show at the uh, the arena. Um, that one is going to be available for FSW Network subscribers, correct? That is correct. That'll be free to a subscriber that they can subscribe at FSWnetwork.com. Uh, the, the heavyweight champion, Hammerstone, who escaped with the title. Uh, he will be there. Toa Leona will be there. Graves will be there. Uh, Adrian Quest will be there. You know, the Suavecitos, if they're not in jail, they'll be there. So, you know. Well, you know, Suavecitos had their, uh, their moment, uh, this weekend with, uh, a lovely valet who, uh, was, yeah. Yeah, I will remain nameless. I have no idea what you're talking about. I, I don't know that they don't have a valet, so I'm not even sure what you're discussing. Oh uh, yeah, you're right. I uh, I think my mind was playing tricks on me. Um, you probably had a dream that night that they had a uh, valet come out. Yeah, because yeah, because you know when I looked at the ring, there was no valet anymore. So you're right. It was probably yeah. it was probably a nightmare. It was an illusion. <laughs> Um, the final thought I had and, and the question I have for you is when everything ends from a big show like this and obviously you're going to be, you know, continuing on to the next thing, how much reflection do you have on the show itself? And does that kind of, um, does that kind of have a sweet spot for you that the show is now over and you could kind of breathe and look and go, that was great. And at the same time, does it look as a motivator for you in terms of, I see this 
you know, from this, I see this on the horizon. Well, it, it's always a motivator. Even the best shows have room for improvement. But when I look back, you know, every day since Saturday nights, between Sunday, every little thing, you know, goes in my head, whether it's dealing with the venue, whether it's dealing with having the Vegas bad boys come on as sponsors to do the pre-show that kind of gets fucked up on Friday night. And, you know, I didn't fuck it up, but I feel bad. It's my company. I'm the guy who has to try to fix everything. So as new hosts of the pre-show, I think we got stuff done Saturday. I think it went well. The idea, obviously it needs to be a little longer. You know, we banged it out. It was fine. We had the guests on, but I need to structure it better. I need to be like, hey, this is guys, this is what we need to do. Now, if you have ideas of like, hey, you know, what about this guy? What about that guy? In the realm of what we're in, it's virtually impossible to try to do it live. Right. Okay. Because we have the show that's happening. But doing it an hour or two before makes it extremely difficult because even at the school, the internet connection isn't the greatest. And when you're rendering stuff and have to upload it, it makes it an issue. So when guys are putting in one, two hours worth of work, then it doesn't air. Everyone has a right to be pissed off. So when the schedule of when we do it is going to be very important but also making sure we have access to people right. and having time allows it to be more streamlined. We can play the clips, we can do the stuff to where now it's, it, it, it doesn't need to be something I'm okay with. It needs to be something I'm proud of. Right. It's the FSW pre-show presented by the Vegas bad boys. So you want to put your name on something that people look at and are like, oh, yeah, that was, you know, that pre-show was informative. You know, as FSW fans, we really enjoyed it, blah, 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 blah. You know, that's what the next step is there. Same thing on the shows. It's like certain issues. Letting people understand, like the Suavecitos, you don't make decisions to put somebody in without me okaying it. Yeah. And – the other issue is people always trying to wait till the day of the show to pitch an idea. No, motherfuckers. I don't want to hear it 45 minutes before the show. What new idea you have about what we're doing in any capacity, yeah. you know, and coming out of there, it's like professionalism needs to get to a higher level. You know, it, it's, it's, it, it's, it's, Let's have a good time and let's have fun, but let's be professionals. We're representing a company that people you keep saying that we need to get to the next level. We need to get to the next level. There was shit that happened this weekend that people would be fired from FS from WWE for behavior and the way people are acting in 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 somebody else's home. Yeah. It's bad in our own home and there are people but you can't go to somebody else's house and kind of do what you want to do. You need to be respectful. You need to clean up. You know, it's all the little things. You know, yeah. we're not your mates. You know, they're not your mates. And if I'm not your maid, 
sure as hell the people that we're paying ain't your maids. So it don't make it our job to clean up after you. If you can't throw away a fucking water bottle, then stay home. Yeah. You know, it's it's simple stuff. You know, I know people are young and but it's like again, the majority are fine. The majority are extremely respectful. You know, I'm a big fan of Toa Leona, not because he looks the part. It's because he comes in, he's he asks questions, he's humble. He hasn't been in the business a long time, but you see the potential of a superstar there, and he doesn't let it get to his head, and he doesn't feel like he's better than people. Yep. Sometimes you got guys who, who barely risen the ranks, and, you know, like we say, you don't see him at breakdown. You don't see him at setup. You don't see him, and then they question, oh, I didn't know we were doing this, right? Well, maybe if you actually showed up, motherfucker, we would know. Yeah. You know? So, you know, there there's always a lot to improve on. And, you know, as I always tell my son, because, you know, he's, he's, you know, here's the middle ground, and Joey's a 1,000 feet down, and he's a 1,000 feet up. I'm right around that 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 middle ground. Right. I know a good show when I see it. I know a great show when I see it. And I know a mediocre show when I see it. And if a show is really, really good, well, in reality, with the guys we bring in, it fucking should be. We're supposed to be this great company. Yeah. So why is anybody surprised that we had good matches? I'm more concerned with the stuff that isn't good. You know, yeah. hey, am I supposed to say, wow, Jay Vidal, what a headlock takeover. Well, you practiced it 8 million times. If you didn't do it right, you should get pitched at. But if you did it right, you know, what are you, you going to say? Right. You know, people will say, oh, well, what would you think of the match? Well, I'm usually pretty honest. But in a lot of cases, it's like I didn't see enough of it to be able to warrant an opinion because the part I saw might have been the down part that wasn't meant to excite me. Right. You know what I mean, but everybody wants that immediate satisfaction of, oh, well, Joe said this and Joe said that. It was like, you know, I just happened to be in a spot where I watched basically the entire TJ Matt Vandergriff match and I really enjoyed it. Yeah. You no. Know? I heard really good things about the Remy Jimmy Jacobs match, but I wasn't there. I was in the back. I was doing other shit, having to deal with stuff because when I'm on commentary, at least I'm, I'm actually watching the matches, you know? Yeah. So it's like bouncing back and forth and dealing with the heat and dealing with people and dealing with aggravating situations. You know, it's hard to concentrate and pay attention to things. Sure. Night. It's much more mellow. I'll, I'll definitely admit that. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm glad you brought up Remy and uh, Jimmy. Um, Glenn King asked me uh, on the way home, he's, what was your favorite match of the night? And I said, it has to be Jimmy Jacobs and, and Remy because of the the tech, the style that they, they used to tell the story. It was, it was phenomenal to me. And uh, overall, I think the weekend special was TJP and Matt Vandegrift, um, which, again, we can't say enough of. I, I urge people, if you haven't seen it, uh, go to Fight TV, uh, order the replay. Um, you can it, order both nights. Yeah, both nights. Uh, what is it? 
still it's uh 24.99 for for both nights i think yes. yeah so that is correct and in total that's 24.99 for approximately around 7 hours of wrestling so it's not a bad investment. Uh, we'll say we'll say six. We'll say six. Six, but regardless, the very good. You know, you're getting your money's worth for the matches uh, at the price that you'd be paying. Um, final question for you, Joe. You brought up Jay Vidal and Gregory Sharp. Let me ask you this: Would you ever take a kendo stick shot from Gregory Sharp? Uh, I wouldn't take a kendo stick shot from Bodhi, so I guess that's a simple answer. <laughs> oh, man. On that note, everyone, thank you for tuning in. Uh, again, uh, please follow FSW. Uh, go to uh, the FSW Network, sign up, um, and uh, you'll be able to see the July 3rd show. Um, and also, uh, you know, the back catalog of everything FSW that's on the network, um, as well as uh, continue to keep listening to the Vegas Bad Boys and uh, all the things that we offer you. And until next time, everybody, take care, and we'll see you then.